This is Mindset for Success with your host, Dr. Leslie Knudsen. Each week, she will interview women entrepreneurs to explore the unconscious psychological struggles they faced as they build their businesses and how they overcame them. Here's your host, Leslie Knudsen. Jamie, welcome. I'm so excited to have you as a guest today. I am excited to be here. Thank you. There's so much to say about you. I kind of don't know where to begin. But Jamie Lieberman is an attorney, podcaster, and entrepreneur dedicated to making legal accessible and sharing the message that that working within a lawyer doesn't have to be scary. As the owner and founder of Hashtag Legal, Jamie draws on her experience working with influencer marketing professionals, creatives, and business owners to help her clients grow and protect their business. She leads an all-female virtual team, and Jamie is the co-host for the Fearless Business Podcast. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Jamie, as you know, it takes a lot to be a successful female entrepreneur. And while business acumen is really, really important, we rarely talk about the psychological challenges that women often face to achieve that success. So today I'd like us to kind of focus on some of those negative and sometimes persistent thoughts that create doubt, undermine success, and can destroy self-confidence, risk-taking, and even decision-making not to mention the happiness and satisfaction in our lives. Um, Can I have you start with telling us a little bit about your busy and full journey to become an entrepreneur? Um, What, uh, tell us about this journey and what pushed you to become the entrepreneur when you did? Gosh, it is a long journey. I would agree. I will keep it as short as I can with just some of the important points, but it did not happen overnight. That's for sure. Mm. Uh, I actually started my career completely separate from being an attorney. I worked uh, for a publishing company in a number of dot coms, which instantly ages me because people don't call them that anymore. (laughs) And then in 2001, uh, the dot com crash happened. And shortly after that, 9-11 happened. Uh, I was living in New York and working in New York and everything I sort of knew had changed. And so it was at that moment after having worked for five years uh, after college, I decided it was time to go back to school. In doing so, I thought I was going to get my MBA because my background was engineering and business. And when I went to look at the MBA programs in New York at NYU and Columbia, they didn't feel like a fit to me. And so on a whim, which is not something I would ever recommend to anybody, I took the LSAT. (laughs) I happen to be pretty good at taking standardized tests. And from the LSAT, I actually got a whole bunch of scholarship opportunities to go to law school. So I ended up choosing Seton Hall Law School because they were gracious enough to offer me a full scholarship. And off I went. And it was uh, probably one of the scariest but most incredible decisions I had made because uh, I was on my own. I lived on my own. I did not have, you know, I didn't move back in with my parents like a lot of young law school students do. So I had to support myself. Mm -hmm. And I went through law school and I left law school loving it, being so happy. And then I started practicing. Mm. And I, yes, 
I quickly realized the practice of law was very different than what I had thought it was in my head. But uh, I muddled through because I knew of the importance of getting that experience. And uh, about, I want to say about seven or eight years after I had begun my practice, I ended up leaving and deciding it was time for me to pursue something else. I did not know what that looked like, but so I just started to freelance and I freelanced working for other lawyers and I picked up jobs. I mean, I pretty much picked up any job you can think of legal or not legal to -hmm. just kind of try to find myself. And uh, I eventually ended up working with uh, a group of bloggers because I myself had been a blogger many, many years ago before the word influencer had existed. And they asked me if I would give a talk about legal issues for bloggers. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. And remember, this was about seven or eight years ago. So nobody was giving those talks. And that's where hashtag legal was really born was out of that talk and that conversation and understanding that there was a lot of business owners that just didn't feel well represented by lawyers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I imagine that going out on your own could have been a risk. And if so, how did you manage it? Oh my gosh, it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it was a huge risk. It was a risk for a number of reasons. Uh, I had had a child, uh, my first son, and then I had gone back to my full-time job and realized that as an attorney, it was for me in the role that I was in impossible for me to be both mom and lawyer. Uh, and I felt like I had to choose and I felt really resentful to that. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to make that choice. I thought I want to be able to do both. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really what drove me. Um, it was over and above the fear or what am I going to do for money <laughs> or all of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the driver for me was wanting to be able to have both a career and be a mom. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I think when you say that is how in some ways um, you've kind of been someone who's already always, I'm going to say, buck the system, but with parentheses and sort of set made things um, that was good for you that maybe wasn't a traditional role as an attorney or, or even um, as choosing mom versus being a full-time um, um, or being a full-time attorney. Tell me a little bit about that. Would you consider yourself someone who hasn't always fit in? And has this ever been difficult? If so, and what did you do to overcome maybe that? Oh, yes. Uh... 100% I believe the reason why I struggled so much in law firm life and it wasn't an external struggle if you would have asked anyone that worked with me they would have thought I liked what I did and I fit in great and frankly the partnership of the law firm when I left was shocked that I was leaving mm-hmm. but I was unable to be true to myself I essentially had to dress a certain way talk a certain way look a certain way that really just wasn't who I was Mm-hmm. And so I felt this extreme frustration that anytime I would buck that system a little bit, and it sounds so silly, something as silly as, you know, what you're wearing or how you look was so mm-hmm. important uh, and so much emphasis was placed on it, particularly as a woman, that anytime I would push that envelope, there would be blowback and I would feel uncomfortable or it would be pointed out. Uh, at one <laughs> law firm I worked at, I had my, my natural hair color is brown, but I like to make it many, many different colors. And at one point in time, I just missed having my multicolored hair and I dyed my hair red. 
Mm. And for, and it was not that bright. So <laughs> be real. I can't tell you the number of male partners who commented on it. And mm. then I had one who was the, he literally ran the firm. This was a very large firm. He referred to me as the girl with the red hair. Mm. And not by name. There was no name. He would yell to his secretary, I need the get me the girl with the red hair. It was so just demoralizing. <laughs> he certainly wasn't calling any of my male counterparts by how they looked or their, you know. And so I felt like anytime I stepped out of that box, it was instantly attention gathering. And it was just not the type of attention I wanted. I wanted to be known for the great work that I did or, you know some good argument I made. So, you know, the podcast that we're doing together is also for this young, ambitious woman like you, you once were, still are probably, <laughs> about how some of the difficulties they have. Um, did it take courage to step outside the box or you've always been an outside the box girl? Woman? I think I've always been an outside the box kind of girl, but I still think it takes a lot of courage to do something different when I left practice law firm life, I was told, I want to say more times than I can count that the type of law firm I wanted to create and the type of law practice that I wanted to be in could not exist mm -hmm. and was not viable from just a business monetary perspective. It couldn't be profitable. I was told that multiple times that I was mistaken and that uh, you couldn't have a virtual law firm, you couldn't have flexible workforce. It's just not the way the legal profession works. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I was terrified because of that. And I was, you know, to be told over and over by people who you look at as very successful in the business. I kept thinking maybe they know something I don't know, but it just mm -hmm. felt so wrong to me that I just felt like I had to try. So you weren't fearful of failing. You said, I have to try. I mean, I certainly was. Uh, I definitely fight against fear of failure for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. I've gotten a lot better about it through a lot of my own internal work. Uh, but I don't ever let it stop me trying. So even if I'm having a very painful internal monologue, right. Um, right. I'm always going to do it no matter what, because I don't I don't ever want to let the fear of failure stop me from doing anything, even if I have a whole bunch of emotions attached to it. And if you can kind of like do action steps of how does how are you able to uh, to not get hooked into thinking about the fear of failure? Um, I think I say it out loud. For me, a lot of times when something I get caught on something internally, or I have a fear, or I feel like things aren't going right, uh, finding a really good either trusted friend or someone in a mastermind, someone very close who may not have the emotional connection to it. I often find that if I sort of do that, like verbal brain dump, if you've ever seen the show scrubs, but there's a character Elliot who does these like verbal sort of, she just starts talking and can't stop. That's me. Um, but she it, feels a lot better afterwards. That's what it is. It takes the wind out of the sails. Cause sometimes when I'm talking, I'm even saying to myself, this is crazy that you're yeah. saying out loud. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. not letting it stay internal is is a big key to me being able to overcome some of those uh, stumbling blocks. Um, you told me a few years ago, your business partner decided to leave the firm and you described it as having been an easy and amicable situation. Yet you also talked about how her departure triggered this deep fear that somehow 
Without her, your firm might fail. How did you manage this? Oh, my gosh. Do you know what actually really got me through on that was my, it was my staff. Knowing that my staff stayed with me when she decided to leave and they stood by me and they, uh, I knew that I wanted to keep going to keep building what it is I wanted to do. That really helped motivate me to keep pushing forward and move past that fear. Um, cause I really, I, I wanted them to be able to continue to work in the space that we had created. Uh, and I wanted to as well. So it was hard but I really took some external motivators there to, to push through some of that fear. Can you talk a little bit about which external motivators you, you chose? Yeah, my staff, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Just knowing they relied on me. I mean, I feel every single day, and 2020 has been a really big test in this because the women that work for me, they rely on me to mm-hmm. get their paychecks and have their health insurance and all the things that we provide and to knowing that that is there that's such a huge motivator for me because I um I feel a sense of like loyalty to them Mm -hmm. uh in wanting to continue to grow and and to to have this environment for them and so I sort of focused on they need me uh and the clients they need me and so we just have to sort of push forward and continue and not let any of those fears stop that upward progress. Mm-hmm. Being all virtual, have you been all virtual even during 2020 or before or also before? Yeah. So interestingly, I rented office space in February Perfect. of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> the irony of 2020. Um, so my office, my staff is all virtual, even with this office space. It was frankly more for me than anything to get out of working from my home office. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turned out to be the greatest blessing having rented this space in February. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, they are still, they have been virtual the entire time. They continue to do so. Pre-pandemic, we would have a yearly retreat where we would travel to a different part of the country because they're all over the place. They're not just locally in the New York area where I sit. So we would do a yearly retreat. Um, we do monthly Zoom calls. We are in Slack. We, you know, we communicate all the time, but not in person, which certainly can change the method and mode of communication. But you work on staying connected as best as possible, it sounds like. Oh, so yeah, for they sure. They rely on you, you can rely on them. Yes, we have an unbelievable... I have some of the most brilliant and amazing women working for me, and I'm so... I couldn't do it without them. Um, probably says a lot about your supervisory skills, too, by the way. I you hope know, so. <laughs> People who have great friends, they have great friends also because they're good friends themselves. So, Thank you. Um, let me ask you a little bit about, um, it's not uncommon in the stories that successful women share, have shared with me that there, there is a moment where their health was at risk. Did this, anything like this happen to you? And what was that like? And how would you advise young ambitious women entrepreneurs to pay attention to their health? That's an interesting question. So I actually would say that physically, I am very lucky that I've had good health. Uh, so in, from a physical, I really prioritize working out and fitness and health. 
um, which is really important to me. And I think is a, a large part of why I'm able to do as much as I do and have the energy that I have. I'll say that mentally, right before I started the law firm was when I was most concerned. I felt such an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. I was a new mom. I had left my law firm job without knowing what it is I was going to do. I had had a series of very toxic bosses that sort of rattled my confidence. Um, and I think that was, frankly, pre before starting it, I would have been much more worried about where I was mentally than when I actually did it. I felt mm -hmm. this huge sense of relief that even if, you know, it didn't work, I was trying. Mm -hmm. uh, and I felt like I had been able to create the identity and feel more of an, a sense of identity as a more well-rounded person. I felt like at that time, my sole focus was just mom and I was losing so much of myself. And mom is a very important part of my identity, but it's not my whole identity. And I think I was losing that when I had left my job and was kind of freelancing and, uh, you know, the kids came first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, how has your upbringing made it harder or easier for you to master a, a mindset for success? So <laughs> you like that, that exhale? <laughs> take a small topic. Yes. My upbringing is a very complicated subject that could probably be many podcasts. However, <laughs> there is one thing that my parents did ingrain in me that I have taken with me. And that was always the notion that no matter what happened, in my life, no matter where I was or what I was doing, I'd always have my brain. This was mm -hmm. something my, my mom and dad always told me. Mm -hmm. And so that I could always, I think in their own way, were trying to say, to teach me to be self-reliant mm -hmm. uh, and to not rely on anyone. And so that will certainly come back to me uh, when I feel alone as an entrepreneur or, you know, I feel like the weight of the world. It is always the memory, like, you've got this you can do this, you know what you're doing. Uh, and I think that has been hugely beneficial. Especially during moments of difficulty, I would imagine too. Yes. It is a good reminder. Mm -hmm. um, I, we talked a little bit about when, before we met on the podcast about how you don't necessarily listen to what your comp competitors are doing. And I wonder if you could share with our listeners why that sometimes is, what that does to kind of protect you from feeling, uh, not knowing, not uh, to, to question of who you are. I feel like there's always enough room for everybody, no matter who you are or what your business is, there's space for everybody, you, your competitors, the people who think they're your competitors, but maybe actually aren't, <laughs> right. or even the people you think are your competitors and may not be. Mm-hmm. And so with that notion and that belief that there's just room for everybody, I kind of don't care what they're doing because there's space for all of us. Mm -hmm. And if I'm just myself, if my message is my clear message and comes from within, that's going to resonate true. Um, and that's going to come clear to the clients that make sense for my law firm and for me. Mm -hmm. And so if I am just myself, I follow my gut. I drown out all the background noise, which is all the various podcasts and books and articles and everything telling you about how to run a business. And I just go with my gut. And then when I don't know an answer to something, 
I hire a professional to help me Mm -hmm. um, within my business. It's just proven to really focus me and give me like the clarity that I need instead of getting so bogged down in all of the research and the worrying and the thinking that somebody else's offering is going to take away from my offering. Because at the end of the day, I am me and there's no replacement of me or the services that we offer. We are who we are and that's what makes us unique. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it also means that you're less scattered, right? Because when you have all these worries and all these different things going on of books and suggestions and everything, um, it's important to be able to just focus on what you do and stay there. Oh yeah. Stay in your lane is my, one of my biggest sayings. Like you just stay where you are. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Don't worry about what they're saying or their marketing or what you're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Do what you feel like you need to do. It makes all the difference. I think it's such a great recommendation to those young women out there that are starting not to get bogged down with what everybody else is doing. That's great. Yeah. And there's a difference between also being worried so much about what everyone else is doing and finding a really amazing mentor or an icon or somebody that you look up to, particularly when you're starting out, those are great resources, far Mm -hmm. different than spending time and effort and energy with all of the noise that is created (laughs) these days. Good for you. Totally agree. In our last couple, two minutes, um, if you had to tell me what the, what the top three things a female entrepreneur needs to be successful, what would those be? A thick skin. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think a really amazing, um, I want to call them an advisory board. And what I mean by that is community, a community yeah. that you can trust. Uh, and that can be one or two people. I'm not talking about a hundred people, just truly people that have your best interests at heart that can be a sounding board because it does take a village even if you run your team alone Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think that you also need resiliency so understanding that failure will happen I have failed multiple times I will continue to fail (laughs) things will go wrong Mm -hmm. but being okay with it being able to sort of pick yourself up learn from that failure you can cry about it too it's totally fine Mm -hmm. but not living in that sadness or fear and just kind of pushing forward to continue on. Great. All really great, great recommendations. I want to thank you so much, Jamie, for sharing with our listeners today, your motivation for why you chose to be a female entrepreneur and also how you overcame some of the psychological struggles that you encountered during your inspirational journey. Where can people reach out to learn more about your work? Thanks for having me on. I, I actually very much love this topic, so I'm excited you've dedicated a podcast to it. Um, my uh, website is hashtag all spelled out dash legal.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, although Instagram is my favorite social media <laughs> channel. So you can find us there. Hashtag spelled out underscore legal. This podcast is brought to you by Women Entrepreneurs Global the first startup studio and digital DIY startup platform for women. For more information on her guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit womenentrepreneurs.global. 
We believe in open and non-stigmatizing dialogue about the hidden psychological difficulties experienced by many successful entrepreneurs and highlighting the strategies used to overcome them, such as the fear of failure, of not being good enough, and that loud, chattering internal critic is critical to helping other founders achieve success. Please join her next week for more Mindset for Success stories. That was Dr. Leslie Knudsen, and you can drop her a line at dr.lesliekanudsen at dr.lesliekanudsen.com.